0: You know, I really didn't know I would ever own a house one day. I just didn't think I would make enough money or knew enough about it. And that might probably sound stupid to you because you're like, Rachel, why do you of all people think you couldn't buy a house? Well, let me tell you something. I was unbelievably uneducated about most adulting things and especially about the home buying process. I had no idea how to begin the process, what was possible for me, and even if it was something I could really do. And so when we finally did start the process, we fumbled through it and learned on the go. And while yes, I am on the other side of it, I am a homeowner. I wish that someone had talked practically about some of these grown-up things, made it human and interesting, and created space for me to ask my dumb questions. I also probably still know very little about this process, why it matters, and how to prepare yourself for being the grown-up everyone says we have to be. That's the funny thing about being a pseudo-adult, right? All the things that we're expected to do, no one ever really talks or teaches us about. And that's really not fine, is it? Hey, I'm Rachel, and this is the It's Fine Podcast. talking with Sherry Smith, an Austin Realtor and Director of Sales for JKB Realty Group. On this episode, we'll talk about breaking down some of the home buying misconceptions, some of the core areas for financing your home, including a discussion on September 2023, interest rates and home prices, and first-time home buyer sacrifices and how to manage through them. Are you ready? Let's get into it. What was it like for you to buy Cause I'll be honest, like I had no idea what the hell I was doing when we bought our first house. We moved to Austin and we moved in 2019. And honestly, we had no money. Charles didn't have money, I didn't have money. Like we, we had no idea that like we could buy a home, like that that was possible for us, right? And when we went into the process, I think we carried a lot of preconceived notions about what was possible. Like my parents had grown up in the same home Most most of my life, actually, in in my high school years, that's when my parents moved into their second home. But generally speaking, like it wasn't something that like I knew a lot about. I knew that you're supposed to buy a house, or that's what everybody says is buy a house, do that, right? Like the next step in adulthood. So, did you have any preconceived ideas about buying a home, or were you like more confident in yourself and just about that experience about being able to buy your first property?
1: Honestly, like I hadn't even thought too much about it. Just in 2013, my dad actually was like, you got to buy a house because Austin's about to get expensive. So thank you, dad. He, I mean, we had no money. We were waiting tables and I was working as a teller in a bank. And my husband was also just waiting tables. So... You don't have to have a ton of money to buy a home. For us, we did get help with our down payment from my parents and from my husband's parents. They split it. But we yeah. only had, we did an FHA loan, which the minimum down payment's three and a half percent. So you don't have mm. to have a ton of cash to buy a home. But yeah, I didn't know anything about it going in. And there is a ton of stuff to know. There's a lot to that you learn. When you buy your first home, about the process and the requirements and all of that. So, we definitely learned a lot
0: buying that first house. I think one of the first barriers to buying property is that I don't have money, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't. And the difference between 20, 2013 and now buying your home in 2023 in a lot of the core markets. So, like us living in Austin, other folks living in other big cities, it feels like it's just impossible, right? Like homes feel so expensive, like interest rates are really high, which we'll talk about interest rates in a second, like how that connects to house prices, but I am curious like how do you help folks wrap their head around you don't necessarily need to have a ton of money in the bank if you're interested in buying a home. Like how do you work through that with your with folks?
1: Yeah, mo- a lot of my clients initially first-time home buyers are under the impression they need to have 15 per- or 20% to put down which that's nice if you have that, but most first-time homebuyers don't really have that much cash to put down. So the name of the game on your first home is just getting a house because you have to get a stake in the ground. You have to start building equity to be able to go from there. When you get to house two or house three, you'll have already your investment that you made in your first home and you'll be able to take that equity and you're going to have a lot more cash to play with because of that equity when you go to house number two or number three. So that's why buying a house is so important. If you want to get to your dream house, which typically happens on house, like three, four, five, you got to start somewhere. Just scrap together whatever cash you can. Like I said, the lowest down payment amount, you can do 3% on a conventional loan. If you're in the military, you can do a 0% down VA loan. If you live in the middle of nowhere, you could do a 0% down USDA loan. There's all kinds of creative loan options out there too that offer low down payments. Like if you're newly graduated from medical school, for example, and like you have a badass job as a doctor, but you have no money because you just spend a bunch of money on your student loans, there's down payment assistance programs specifically for people in the medical fields that are available. Or sometimes there's government grants available. There's not many of those out there right now. Although I hear there may be some coming soon in the near future.
0: Yeah.
1: I would say get with a real estate professional and say, hey, this is where I'm at. I'm working or I graduated college or whatever your situation is, but I don't have a ton of cash. Do you think there's options for me to buy a house and just start the conversation? Maybe there's a creative option out there that you don't know about yet.
0: No, for sure. Just on our story, like we had not a ton of money in the bank when we started looking. But what was interesting about our situation, which I think isn't necessarily true in every place, but I'll share it because it was our story, is that we bought, we actually bought a house that we built. So like in some parts of the country, right, you can bu- bu- build a home, right? And it has like a prepaid plan and you pick different options. It's not like we custom built our house, but like we we picked a pa- plan got to pick the finishings and then built our home. And so in that time, we actually only had to put down $5,000 and then pay the, the rest of our down payment actually when our house was built and finished, right? Like when we were ready to move into our house. So for us, that was actually extremely helpful because we just spent the year and a half that it took to build our house, which granted that was during COVID times, which is why it took as long as it did. But for us, it was like a blessing in disguise. And we really had to think, about how do we change the way that we spend our money and think about like, how do we save, right? And like really restructure just even how we think about our finances so that we could buy our house. And Sherry, you made a really great point about equity. And I think that's something that I didn't really wrap my head around or understand the concept of that. Building a home gives you the ability to build equity and actually generate wealth. Can you talk a little bit about what that equity means and what is how can a house... Help you generate wealth or help you build equity so that you can buy more houses, take big risks financially. Yes. A house is one of the best
1: investments you can make. I think the only investment that typically appreciates more over time than a house or a piece of land is artwork, actually. If you have money sitting in a savings account or even in stocks, like chances are, if you move that into real estate, you're going to make more money on that investment than you would anywhere else. Real estate is, we don't just have loads and loads of it. They're, in most of the country right now, there's a shortage of housing inventory. So it's something that everybody wants. Everybody is trying to buy a house and it just, because of that demand, it creates appreciation. So like a base level of annual appreciation on a home is typically like 4% annually, but a lot of times it ends up being more than that just depending on what type of market you're in. For example, in 2021 in Austin, we saw areas having 30% appreciation year over year. Now that was a very unstable, unhealthy market and we have since had to really correct from that market. So prices have come back down. But some people did play the game, myself included, actually. I bought a house in 2016 and I doubled it and sold it in 2022, right before the market changed. So another reason, like if you have a good real estate professional in your corner, they might be able to tell you, sell it now. The market's about to change. All the signs are pointing to it's going to change soon. Similar to stocks, you anticipate what the market's going to do and follow the advice of a professional typically about. When you should sell a stock versus when you should buy it?
0: Yeah, I am curious because that's what we saw for ourselves, and I definitely think there are different schools of thought on this, right? I think in certain markets, right, like it might not be as easy to buy a house or buy a piece of property in New York City versus like in Austin. It makes more sense. You have to look at your own life and weigh the pros and cons of what makes sense and like what you're able to afford on like a monthly basis and things like that. But generally speaking, like even for our for us. We found that like we've been able to get more value out of our home and also be able to see it grow as an investment. And, like when you don't have a lot of money, right? If you don't have a lot of money to pull from, this has now become like an opportunity for us to imagine what are some of the things that could be possible, right? Could we take out a load and buy something else or could we sell our house and buy something bigger? There's a lot of thinking that I guess I just never had ever thought of, right? Before knowing, okay, if you have like a, an asset like this that opens up like possibilities that probably don't exist. Mm -hmm. I am curious, like, what are some of the common misconceptions that you hear from people? Because like, generally speaking, I think buying a home is in favor for folks, right? In terms of moving, being able to generate wealth and do better in terms of like their financial health. But like, we talked a little bit about some of the loan stuff and just not feeling like you have enough money. Other kind of misconceptions that people carry
1: yeah typically another thing that stops people from buying a house is maybe the fear of the market like we all were alive in 2008 2009 and saw what happened back then with the the market basically crashing so people because of that because we've all seen it fairly recently They get scared about, oh, all the economic factors going on around us. Could there be another crash? Are we in a housing bubble? That kind of talk that lets people talk themselves onto a ledge and keep them from buying. But again, consult your favorite real estate professional to talk about the market a little bit. I just was at a conference last week through Keller Williams, who's my broker, just going over the different economic factors in the market right now that affect housing. And everything actually is looking pretty good. Unemployment is low. Inflation has come down a lot. We have a lot of jobs available. The thing that's happening in the industry right now that's a little wonky is like affordability and consumer confidence are really, with those interest rates, affordability is difficult. But historically, these interest rates are actually low. In the 80s, the interest rates were like 18%. And back then, people statistically were spending like close to 50% of their income to buy a house. Whereas now, the average is like less than 30% that people are spending of their income to buy a home. So when you look at those numbers, it's actually still affordable in the grand scheme of
0: things. I totally understand that the relationship between... Interest rate and pricing, mm-hmm. and so now I get it mm-hmm. way more, and I now see oh like it really so like we were fortunate in 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 twenty twenty to or yeah twenty twenty one for us technically where like our interest rate was low, and our cost was like relatively i think at market price at that time, I think it was definitely the interest rate stayed low and then prices continued to go up, and then there's a sort of this relationship between that. And I didn't totally understand like how pricing worked and like how the interest rate and like the price kind of work together to help you think about okay, what percentage of like your total monthly income gets impacted by your your monthly mortgage.
1: If you're financing a home, meaning you're gonna get a mortgage, you're gonna work with a bank, you're gonna get a loan to help you buy that house, you're gonna have an interest rate on that loan. In t- years, recent years past, there's been times where it's been. interest rates or 2.8, 2.6, historically low interest rates that we will never see again. Those are not coming back. Yeah. If you're waiting to buy a house for the rates to come back to 3%, you're not going to ever buy a house because they're not coming back. That was free money. If you took advantage of it at the time, good for you. But now when inflation goes up, like we had inflation go up to 9, 10% in the past year and a half. And the Fed is not going to let that happen. That's a big problem for our economy. They're going to see that high inflation rate and they're going to be like, oh, no. And they're going to pump the brakes and they're going to raise the interest rates on everything. So that is exactly what happened. Um, We've seen the interest rates in the past year bouncing around from the high fives to the high sevens. Actually, we're really high right now. We're In the mid to high sevens and that's for a 30-year fixed mortgage which is what a lot of people get but there's also options for 15-year mortgages or a jumbo mortgage is if your loan amounts over a certain amount if you're buying a higher priced home there's different rates for different loan products but yeah going from three to percent interest to seven and a half percent interest That's just going to affect your monthly payment a lot because you're paying interest every month on the loan. So let's, I don't want to do math because I can't do quick math, but that's double the interest from where it was.
0: Is that double the mortgage payment?
1: It's not double the mortgage payment. Like the home prices have come down, especially in Austin. Like we've had a big correction. Because we spiked up really high during the, what we call artificial market of 2020, 2021. Our market topped out around June of 2022. And we've been correcting. So a little over a year, our market's been correcting its prices, which means they're going back to where they would have been if they had followed the regular trend line instead of skyrocketing so they're correcting back down for example the house that i sold in february of 2022 if i was going to try to sell it today it would be at least a hundred thousand dollars less on the sales price than what i sold it for in february 2022. so that the sales prices have helped affordability the interest rates are hurting
0: so basically but they like work together Right. right ultimately like the goal is that folks can buy homes, right? Like I think that that is like the ideal scenario for our economy. So, while it's not like you're going to see or we hope that we won't ever see like an interest rate being 10 and then a the house price being like in Austin, that would be like a typical house price I think when it was like at its peak was like 650-700 when we're looking at like when the market was high, when it was high, would you say that is it possible for like interest rates and the prices to both be high, right? Or do you see that that it's like a it's just dependent on the market
1: yeah it's just dependent on the market i guess you could hit it wrong on all counts like you could have bought at the peak of the market last year and the interest rates had already started going up a little bit so maybe you bought like right. in june of 2022 and the interest rates are already in the fives but the sales prices are down and the interest rates are up right now so i think they do typically right. work a little bit opposite of each other to help with affordability.
0: But even then you're saying like they're still historically like pretty low, like all things considered, right? There was a couple of years where it was like a 2.5 to 3, Mm -hmm. right? Or not even, it was like two years one and a half years and that was because we were in like historically like a terrible time in our history Mm -hmm. as well because of covid because of a lot of calamity our economy was being so impacted by things that were very much out of the control of everyone Mm -hmm. right and our hope is that type of thing doesn't happen again right so that we don't see that sort of disastrous times for our economy for some folks they did benefit. Right. But then also a lot of folks suffered because of the way the economy was. A lot of people lost their jobs during that time. A lot of the systems that would be in place for them no longer existed. So I think it's something to keep in mind that these things I think up in flow. But I will say I am one of those people who's I'm just going to wait like I'm the next house I'm going to buy. I'm going to wait till the interest rate is two percent again. But I feel like that's probably sweet dreaming. That's not <laughs> that's nobody saying that's
1: going to happen. Honestly, if the interest rates drop down into the five percent area, things will go off the rails again. Like people really? there's so many people not wanting to pay the seven, seven and a half percent that they are waiting. And yeah, if we get in the fives, it's gonna be like multiple offers on everything again. So that's our new really? low. They're not saying it's gonna go back in there anytime soon. It's gonna stay in sixes and sevens for the foreseeable future. But next year's an election year, so those are always weird so you never know
0: do you find out though because the rates are where they're at okay i just contact your folks who were not buying in 2020 2021 right i think i remember you sharing this with me that like housing was like you there were like 10 offers for one house and you were paying like way more than what the house was worth right because you were competing against other people is that true now at this more standardized interest rate are you seeing competing offers, all that kind of stuff? It
1: depends on where you are in the country. Many places in the country still have an inventory shortage. They still have people wanting to buy homes with the rates where they are and not enough homes to sell them. In Austin, again, because we were one of the top five markets for how high we spiked and had a bigger correction. Months of inventory refers to how long would it take all of the actively for sale homes on the market to sell right now if no new homes were added to that list. So right now it would take three and a half months for all of the active homes in Austin to sell if no new ones came on. So when you have a balanced market, you're at about six months of inventory. When you have a buyer's market, you're typically over six months of inventory however another weird thing is going on because in 2021 2020 we had not even one month of inventory like that whole time that's how much demand there was so now three and a half months of inventory in austin feels like we have so many houses houses are still selling but buyers are aware that they have a lot more leverage than what they had before So I'm seeing buyers a lot taking their time, like they may not go see the house the first day it comes on the market. They may wait a few days and go see it on Monday or Tuesday, whatever works with their work schedule. And then they think about it for a while, crunch their numbers for a while. They just take longer to make a decision in this market in Austin. Now, some of my colleagues Uh in other markets are still having multiple offers on their listings. So it just depends where you are in the country. And I think Austin's still very desirable. Houses are still selling. It's just a lot slower than what we're used to. So you either have a seller's market, a buyer's market, or a balanced market. In yeah. In a seller's market, the seller has the upper hand. Like they can quote take advantage of the buyers, which is what was happening in twenty 2020, twenty, twenty twenty one. Like Jeez. It was very icky what was happening to me. Like it was very difficult to buy a home then.
0: Yet everybody was lining up to buy houses. Like I feel like people were just like, I need to buy a house right now. And that is that was such a weird time. I just yeah. I don't think I've ever felt more pressure to like think about that. And it just happened to be also the time that we were thinking about buying a house. We just got fortunate that we didn't do it in April of twenty twenty, where I think it was like at its April, May 2020 at its peak. Versus in the earlier parts of the year, like we were in like 2019, early 2020 looking to buy a house. But yeah, I just felt so crazy that people were like at outs, right? Buyers are putting up so much money and fighting against each other. Sellers were being... I don't want to use the word greedy, but sometimes it feels like that, right? Like they wanted to, it would like, to be fair, they wanted to get the most money that they can, which like, I don't blame them. I would also be doing the same. Mm -hmm. So just to quickly ask, at what point, we could talk a lot about like buying a home. and I think all in all, positive thing, if that is possible for you, but I guess as you consult with folks, right, is there ever a point when you're like, it probably makes more sense to rent Mm -hmm. versus buy?
1: Okay. So there are rare instances where we have that conversation. A few examples of that would be if you're moving to a brand new city and you're not sure what neighborhood you want to live in because you don't know the city. So you're wanting to buy a house, but you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like that neighborhood. I'm torn between six different neighborhoods and I don't live there, so I don't know how they are. So if you're moving to a new place and you want to test it out, That's a good time to rent for a little while so you can get a feel of the new city that you're in. If you have major credit issues, you know, it's going to be hard to rent also, but you're probably not going to be able to get a mortgage very easily if your credit is in the toilet. So you may have to rent while you're working on your credit. Those are probably the two biggest ones when I recommend to rent. And then other than that, I'm like, you need to buy.
0: So there are definitely people who are like, you shouldn't buy. And I think it's specifically in regards to like in major in like big markets like New York. I've definitely heard that from people like one of the people that I'm thinking of right now is Ramit Seth, which like you don't need to subscribe to his philosophy. I'm just saying as like as someone who is on the other side of this of this conversation. So one of the things that I've heard, too, is like how you think about not just obviously your mortgage, but that as your house Gets older, and me and Charles have a bird bath in front of our house because for some reason there's like some kind of like water leakage and like these little things, right? Like your stove breaks, your house has this issue, you need to paint, you need to do this, right? There's like something coming up from your ceiling, right? Like shit happens basically. How do you help people think through weighing those costs when you think of like your percentage of monthly income? Is that something that you think is something folks can consider or should consider, right? When they're making this decision or like, how does that fall into like the way that you think about buying and maintaining a home?
1: Yeah, bottom line, you need to buy property if you want to build wealth. Like, that's the end of it. Everyone who's wealthy in this country, everyone who is working on building their wealth, they own property. So you are just going to have to do that if you want to be wealthy. And yeah, you might think about homeowner maintenance issues when you're looking at buying a home. So if you are not handy or you don't want to spend a bunch of money on homeowner maintenance, do not buy a house that was built in the 1920s you will have more <laughs> homeowner maintenance. So if that's something that you're worried about, yeah, you need to buy a newer home. Like for example, Rachel, your home is not old. You probably still have some kind of builder warranty <laughs> that you could tap into. Or the leaky problem isn't that difficult to fix. When you're considering homeowner maintenance costs, yeah, you gotta think about if you're like super hipster and you're like, I have to live in an old house cause that's the only thing I like. I just like that character then just factor in that you're gonna have more homeowner maintenance costs, and it just is what it is. When you're buying a house, the three things you're considering are location, condition, and price. A first-time home buyer, typically you only get two out of three of those things. So if condition is big for you, like you need it to be move-in ready and you don't want it to have anything that you're gonna to have to spend money on, then you may end up having to sacrifice on the location of the home, or the price of the home. So typically you can't get all three on your first house. Like for me, we sacrifice on location because I wanted condition. I wanted the house to be move-in ready and not have to put a bunch of money in it. And I had a very strict budget. So I had to go way further out of town than I wanted to, but I, it was fine. I got used to that location and I still live in that location now. But at in 2013, it felt like I was moving to the moon.
0: So we are not handy. I am not handy. Don't ever ask me to do anything handy. I think Sherry was working on some projects and like it required some handy work recently. And I was like, don't even ask me to help you because I'm going to fuck it up in some way. Like I already know, like it's not my skill set. And so like we knew that we needed something newer because like we will never be interested in doing home improvement projects. That is not our thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was probably priority one. And then I think when you talk about like location and affordability, the second priority for us was affordability, right? Like at the time when we bought our house, like I was the one who was primarily earning and Charles was consulting. And so we needed something that we could live off of one salary. And so that affordability, like I would say affordability and condition, which like to me, they were like connected because condition also means we didn't necessarily have the ability to take out a $200,000 loan to fix up a house. That wasn't possible for us. I like this point, which is ultimately like you have to settle sometimes, especially as a first time buyer and be open to what that means for you. And I have friends who picked location, but then condition was not ideal. And so they are spending a lot of money and have shit popping off all the time. But I think based on what matters to them, that works for them or like they're more handy. So they're like, okay, cool. Like we are going to repay and do whatever. And some people actually like stuff like that like truly like i have friends who are super handy and artisans and really great at doing those types of projects and that is like a fun thing to do on the weekends whereas like that could literally be my worst nightmare if we had stuff we had to do in our house every weekend i would like not be very happy
1: yeah usually with my first time home buyers it's a come to jesus thing that happens slowly so they want to be right next to downtown for one dollar and they want it to be totally move-in ready. So I'm like, okay, let me show you some properties right next to town that are in your budget. And we're in there and I'm like, okay, but it's gonna need a new roof. The air conditioner is gonna go out soon. Like we need to do some cosmetic updates in here. It's not move-in ready, but this is literally the best house that I could find in this location. What do you think? Sometimes they have to come to it on their own to decide, like, maybe we should sacrifice on our location because we cannot handle this condition of this house. So if you are a handy person and the idea of fixing up a home or doing cosmetic updates on a home doesn't scare you, and if you have the funds available to do that kind of stuff, you can build equity a lot faster and a lot more equity if you do buy an ugly house and fix it up because nobody wants the ugly houses. So they sit on the market longer. And the price comes down they get more and more affordable and you can get a really good deal on an ugly house and then fix it up and you have instantly more equity than you would if you bought a brand new house or one that's totally move it ready. So pro tip, if you're buying your first house and you can stomach it, get an ugly one. You'll make more money.
0: Charles is really bougie. And so I, that works for us. I benefit off of his bougie and I've never been happier. Like we are very comfortable, mm-hmm. but something to consider, right? That these things are not, it's not just like about what to buy. It's what are you willing to handle and what are you comfortable with? Right? Because it's a big purchase. And like most people, I, mean, I imagine, Sherry, correct me if I'm wrong. I think most people live in their house a minimum of three to four years, a minimum, mm-hmm. right? I expect us to live in our house for at least the next 10 years. Like mm-hmm. I think it's important. For folks to think about right you're gonna be there for a while yeah
1: you definitely don't want to buy a house and then have to try to sell it the next year because then you're gonna be in trouble because there's right. some costs associated with buying a house like closing costs and then when you go to sell a house there's more closing costs because you have to pay realtor commissions and all of that when you sell it so like you're gonna to need to be in a house probably ideally at least three years when you buy it if you I think on average in Austin, it's like f- every, people move every five to seven years, which is pretty quick. There's certain parts of the country where people buy a house and live there for 30 years. Like they all, that's just the norm there. Uh, Austin's a very transient and young city. So our average is quite a bit lower. People move more often. But yeah, I really, it makes me sad when people buy a house and then the next year they get transferred for work or something happens where they have to sell it the next year because usually you're it's going to be hard to break even if you try to sell it that fast
0: so sherry as we close today the last question i have for you is what's fine if like you want to buy a home and you're just sitting in a lot of like fear and insecurity and maybe like expectations about what you think is possible for you what would you say to that person if you if they were your client and you were trying to help them build the confidence to Take that risk and buy their first property.
1: I think knowledge is power. So, just if you're sitting there and you're afraid of something, then you need to talk to your real estate professional about that fear and just talk through them with it specifically. And maybe when you're talking through with them, you get some clarity as, like, oh, I thought that it was going to be this way, but she's saying it's this way. And there's a lot of common misconceptions and beliefs out there that are not necessarily true. Thinking you have to have 20% down or thinking there's not a way to get the seller to help you with some of the upfront costs. So just talking it through with your real estate professional to get out of that fear place is a good start.
0: Sherry, I just want to thank you so much for just making the time for us to talk through some of these challenges, try to break down some of the basics of home buying, right? And I hope that folks around you are, especially the folks that you're helping right now, will be able to find their forever homes or their homes for a night right now and that other folks will find confidence in the buying process. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. I want to end this conversation by reminding you that buying a home is not a goalpost for the best life possible. I do agree with Sherry though. Buying a home has given us a potential stake into building wealth. That was undeniable for us before we bought our house, we really didn't have a lot to our name. Um, We barely had savings and we had zero equity. Now we have some equity. We've been able to kind of consider what it means for us to actually build wealth for ourselves. And that's been pretty cool. But I also know that there are lots of other ways to get wealthy and there are plenty other people who are smarter than me talking about it. I also would be remiss to not mention that There is a big financial and time suck that comes from managing and maintaining your home. But what I hope this conversation can do for you is pique your curiosity, especially if you've been wondering if home ownership is possible for you. And I especially want to challenge women who are single and who are waiting to potentially meet their partners to do this, because believe me, you can build wealth and do it all on your own. And if you meet an incredible person who helps supplement your own financial freedom, so be it. That's freaking awesome. Don't hold yourself back because you're waiting for somebody. Either way, a lot of this adulting stuff, the only way you're ever going to feel even remotely better about it is by trying to do it, learning about it, and finding your way through it. You'll make mistakes. You'll probably have a ton of sacrifices, but you'll also likely be proud of yourself for doing it. And that's all we can do, right? Try our best to make cool, smart financial decisions and do our best to move through them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with me today. It means the absolute world that you would spend time listening to this podcast. Share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from the message of not settling for fine anymore. Share it with your sister, your cousin, your friends, your mom, your dog, your partner. I don't care. I would love to get the word out about why we don't have to settle for fine anymore. I can't wait to see you again next week. Talk soon.